Here's the first thing to know about loving people, as if I'm an expert, (laughs) not. It's a command from Jesus. He's the expert. Love each other as I have loved you. Wow. And here's the second thing. You can't do it on your own. Charles Morris, who's on right before me and Shauna, loves to grow tomatoes. It's more than a hobby. It's a passion. His goal is to pick them off the vine in late August when they've just gotten ripe enough and savor the amazing flavor. Well, it was the end of August, and some friends came to visit and brought along their two kids. While Charles and his wife, Janet, were talking with their friends, their friends' kids were playing out back. And those kids took almost every one of those tomatoes and smashed them on the ground and against the fence. A lot of fun. I can see myself doing that as a kid. Are you, do you know who Garrison Keeler is? Yeah, Oh, of my course. goodness. He has a fantastic story about ripe tomatoes. Oh, okay. Yeah, fantastic. Anyway, this you start talking about <laughs> Charles Morrison and tomatoes. I can't get that image out of my mind of Garrison Keeler's story, but carry on. So tomatoes, these kids were being naughty. Okay, and I'll have to Google that. Yeah. Well, one of the parents went out to check on the kids and found the devastation. What have you done? Don't you know this is so bad? Mr. Morris loves his tomatoes. One of the kids said, can we hide them? No, we can't do that. Then the kid said, will you hide us? That's the Garden of Eden, right? Charles says that normally he would have gotten so angry about his precious tomatoes, but he didn't. Why? He actually laughed about it because, in Charles' words, the Holy Spirit was relaxing my grip on my tomatoes. He was giving me his compassion for those little ones. In Charles' book, Missing Jesus, he says, Seeing how Jesus has loved us teaches us how to love. Only, listen to this, it's more mysterious than that. It's not just following Jesus' example. It's more mysterious than that because it's the work of the Holy Spirit empowering us, prompting us, moving us to love. He fills our hearts with the love of Christ, and it changes us into lovers. Man, I want that. Yeah, I feel like, you know, this this image of these kids, I can imagine them, the tomatoes are smashed, they're up against the fence, right? They're laying on the ground, and their desire, here's what, if I were one of those kids in that situation, my desire would be to go pick up those smashed, destroyed tomatoes mm. and try to place them back on the vine, mm-hmm. you know? And so often we're doing that in life. Like we're with Jesus. We're like, oh, I made a mess. Let me just fix it. Let me try to mm. reshape this blob yeah. and make yeah. it like a tomato again and stick it back on the vine. And there's no doing that. There's no taking a smashed tomato and putting it back on the vine. Yeah. But God in his goodness, you know, he has, he made it right. Mm. He made it right and forgave us. That so hits home because I find myself thinking, I've got to go back and fix the things I've done wrong. And I have to remind myself of the gospel that Jesus has fixed it. And so that's that's a good word. Well, Charles continues, The commandments etched in stone never changed God's people, but now he has etched them on our hearts through the gospel. When we count the ways Jesus has loved us, we realize there's no end to them. And when we think of all those ways, that just causes us to say, Lord, fill me with your spirit so I can love in the same way. The spirit opens the eyes of our hearts to see this love, to be filled with it, 
and then to translate it into love for others. He loves to evangelize our hearts with his overwhelming love so that we can internally understand how to love. Yeah, the Word of God says, you know, forgive as God forgave you. If we're not aware of our own need of forgiveness, of our own sinfulness, and how much it took for Jesus to save us, I think it's easy to stand prideful before others who've hurt us. But when we recognize, you know, how deep... (laughs) how deep Jesus had to reach to to grab you and me and to save us and to forgive us. It's easy for us, easier. I don't know that ever it gets easy, but easier to extend forgiveness to those who've hurt us. Well, the cross humbles us. When we stand before the cross, you know, we see that that's Jesus needed to come and die for us because we were that much of a mess. We are that much of a mess, but we also see how treasured we are. So it does humble us so that we do have a heart to love, a heart to forgive. And as Charles says, it's it's not just following Jesus' example. It's more mysterious than that. It's the work of the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. It's, it's the Spirit of Christ moving in us to cause us to love. The love that was in Jesus that sent him to the cross is in you and me as his followers. We are called to love, and we're talking this week about loving people who are hard to love. And we know that we can pray into the situation. I think when we're in a conversation where someone's being hard to love, we tend to do the best we can to just kind of get through that moment while we're with the person. And if we're really concerned about what happened, we'll remember to talk to God about it later in our prayer time when we have our designated prayer time, whether that's before you go to bed or during a meal or in your quiet time. And hopefully, you know, in that prayer time, God will give us something for that difficult person or that situation, maybe lead us to forgive them for what they did or let us know how to pray for them, that maybe there's something going on that we can be a part of actually interceding for them. Or maybe even God will give us wisdom on how to respond if we find ourselves in that same situation again with that person or even with somebody else. First Chronicles 16.11 says, Seek the Lord in his strength. Seek his presence continually. That's what the scripture says. So not just in our designated time with God, but in every moment of our day, especially in the midst of having a conversation with someone who is really hard to love. And we know that we can have two things going on at the same time in our minds. We could be listening to someone talking and think, oh yeah, I have an avocado in the fridge. I need to remember to put that on my turkey wrap for lunch tomorrow. (laughs) I can be working a lyric, a song lyric in my head when I'm talking to somebody about something else. Oh, for sure. And if we can do that, we can have a conversation with God going on vertically while we're having horizontal conversations with other people, especially people who are hard to love. Mm -hmm. Our tendency is, you know, the person in front of you kind of comes at you. You want to defend yourself and you want to, if they're amped up, you feel like you got to measure that, right? So you got to like bump up your energy and, and match them. But there's another way to go about it through this conversation with the Lord going on while you're having a heated conversation. God can give you wisdom right in the moment, not just later, but right then and right there. Psalm 120 says, I call on the Lord in my distress. And he answers me. So not just later, but real time in the midst. And Eugene Peterson's version of this same verse says, I call to God. I cry to God to help me. From his palace, he hears my call. My cry brings me right into his presence, a private audience. I walk with, I journey with a 
a, a really close friend who just really suffers in his life. And it was a couple of weeks ago, and he had just come to the end of himself. He was just overwhelmed and extremely agitated and and just obsessing and just just in pain. And I walk into situations like this with this friend, and I, I really don't know what to do or what to say. Yeah. I do know that I have to validate how he's feeling. And and I said that, you know, I would come over and pray with him, but, you know, he was just, I don't even know if it even matters to pray. But finally, you know, he said, well, let's pray. And so, you know, I prayed for him and I was just asking God to to give me the words. I said, mm-hmm. Holy Spirit, you know, come. And, and he gave me the words to pray. And it was like, you know, Jesus just showed up in that situation. Real time in the midst. Yeah. Yeah. Not a later situation, but a real time. We can actually practice this today. We can try it out. I hope you don't have a conversation that's difficult with, you know, today with somebody that's hard to love. I hope that you're not in distress today. I'll just put it that way. But as far as praying continually, seeking the presence of God continually, whatever your circumstances, let's try this out today. You might find yourself in a meeting or in a conversation real time while it's happening in the midst. Talk to God. Ask him to help you to see what you don't see about the circumstances. If you're in a meeting and it's business related, ask God what he thinks about that proposal. You know, if you're in a conversation with somebody else, maybe they're opening up something to you. Ask God what he would have you know and what he would have you do. If you are in distress, somebody's coming at you, ask him to help you to hold your tongue and ask him to love them through you today. If you're going to save someone's life, you must give up your own. Here's what I mean. In ancient Israel, 1,100 years before the birth of Jesus, there's a famine in Bethlehem. And looking east from Bethlehem, a man named Elimelech can see Moab. He can see that it's lush and green there. Mm. So he decides to take his wife Naomi and his two sons to Moab. He's showing that he really doesn't trust God. God hasn't told him to go. He's doing what he thinks will save his life and his family, and yet he, he loses it all. This may be the original, the grass is greener on the other side story. Absolutely. That's exactly what he's doing. They get to Moab, and Elimelech's two sons marry Moabite women. Then Elimelech dies. He goes to a place he thinks it's going to save his life, and he dies. And then the two sons die, and his bride Naomi is left alone in a foreign land. Naomi hears that the famine has ended back in Bethlehem and thinks, if only Elimelech had trusted God. She knows she must return to Bethlehem. That's where she belongs. But she also knows she has no future. Sons were your future in the ancient Near East, and she has none. So as she leaves, she urges her daughters-in-law to stay in Moab and remarry so they can have a future. Her daughter-in-law, Orpah, sees the logic, yep, I'm going to stay. But her other daughter-in-law, Ruth, though she knows the logic as well, that her only chance for a future is with her own people, she has something else churning in her heart. If she goes home to save her own life... Naomi's life will perish. But if Ruth gives up her life, Naomi's life has a chance of being redeemed. And so here's Ruth. Her life is at a crossroads. 
And Ruth chooses to give up her life so that Naomi's life can be redeemed. She gives up her father. She gives up her family. She gives up her homeland. She gives up everything. And if you know the biblical story well enough, boy, does this sound familiar? This is exactly what Abraham gave up. He gave it all up, his father, his homeland, all of it. And he left Laka. He left it. And if you want to know what changes Naomi, what redeems her life, it's Ruth giving it all up so that Naomi can get her life back. And this, my friends, is how redemption happens. Whether it's Naomi, whether it's your neighbor across the street, whether it's your marriage, for redemption to happen, someone needs to give up their life. And this is why our lives are, are constantly lived at this crossroads. This crossroads, will I choose to make a life or will I choose to give up my life? Will I choose to live your life for me or will I choose to live my life for you? Will I choose myself or will I choose him? Who are you in this story? Elimelech? Seeking comfort, safety, riches, prosperity? Or are you Ruth? Seeking God, seeking to be in God's story, laying down your life so that others can be raised up, becoming poor to make other people rich, giving up your life so that other people can be redeemed. Jeremiah 6 verse 16 says, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Stand at the crossroads and look and ask for the ancient path. Ask where the good way is and walk in it and you will find rest for your souls. Elimelech tries to save his life, and he loses it. Ruth gives it all away, and she finds it. Mm-hmm. She marries one of Naomi's close relatives back in Bethlehem, and not only does Ruth get a future, but so does Naomi, because the child born to Ruth in that culture, that child was considered to be Naomi's child, so that child will make sure Naomi has everything she needs for the rest of her life. All because of Ruth. Because Ruth laid down her life and gave it all away. Because Ruth gives up her own future, she saves Naomi's future, and really she saves the world because her grandson is King David, whose descendant is the Lord Jesus, the Messiah. The verse that comes to mind is from John 12, Very truly I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Hey, show us what love looks like so that we can love like that. All right. We've got Robin. Good morning, Robin. Good morning. Hey, tell us what you've been doing lately with the construction workers. Well, uh, a few weeks ago uh, on a Sunday evening, I thought to myself, um, I wonder, I I think I... um, God put my heart to bake some cookies uh, and to bring them out to them. And so that's exactly what I did on a Monday morning. I got up early. I baked some cookies. I love to bake. It's a gift that the Lord has given me. Mm. I find great joy in baking. And I love to give to others. And so I decided I'd bake these cookies. um, And then I put them in a little container. And I love to go for a walk. So I decided instead of driving the car, I would walk, do my walk, and I'd carry my container of cookies down to the construction workers. They've been on our road for about a month and a half now, 
Um, and they come from out of state. They're working on a gas line. And I just, I wanted to be a blessing. Mm. And I wanted to encourage their hearts. So I walked down there. I handed the container to them. I said, uh, I bake these for you. I wanted to encourage your heart. Um, and then I gave them to a young man. His name is Zach. Mm. Um, he, I've come to kind of get to know him. Um, he's the first thing that drew me to him. He held a sign, you know, where the traffic stops mm-hmm. and then yeah. you have to wait for the other traffic. And he had such a beautiful smile. And, um, that first day I rolled down my window and I said, you know what? Thank you. Thank you for smiling. You encourage my day. Um, you know, it's been a difficult year and a half and that's what I miss most in people. And so I had said that to him, and so we kind of already developed a little friendship. We'd do a wave and whatever. So that day when I brought the cookies, I gave them. He walked out to me, gave them to him, and then I went on with my walk. And then when I came back, because uh, I had to come back, <laughs> he came up to me, and he said, thank you. The guys, you know, have just really enjoyed it and never have had anyone do that before. Mm-hmm. And I said, well. I love to bake, and it is uh, it's something that God has given me. And um, I said, I have been, and we walked for about 15, 20 steps together, and then I shared with him that I have been a child of my Heavenly Father for 50 years. Hmm. Um, I'm 60 now, and he brings me joy, and he brings peace into my heart, especially during these times. And I said, I wanted to share that joy with you. And so then I went on my way, <clears throat> and then um, then so several times now in the last month and a half, I've brought them blueberry muffins, chocolate chip cookies, banana brownies, oh whatever I decide to bake. And so it's probably about half a dozen times now in 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 the last few weeks. And um, two things have been interesting. The last time I was able to share uh, the verse. Uh, that has meant everything to me, the passage from Psalm 62, 5 through 8, that says, uh, yes, my soul, find rest in God. My help comes from Him. He is my rock. He is my salvation. He is my fortress. I shall not be shaken. My salvation and my honor depend on God. He is my mighty rock. He is my place of refuge. Trust in the Lord at all times. And I love this. You people. Mm. (laughs) And then it says, pour out your hearts to him because he is our refuge. Now, did you share this with all the construction workers? I wrote it on a card and gave that to them um, and shared it with Zach and told him, this is where my heart rests. Mm. Uh, is and and I said ten times in those in that passage it tells you whom your heart should rest in, mm. not the gifts that God has given us, not our home, not our jobs, not our finances, not even in the blessing of other people in our lives. You know these are all gifts that He has given us, but they can also become idols. You know we're putting our hearts rest in all of these other things that are gifts from him but our heart needs to rest in the giver only and that's why i love this passage and it has meant so much to me this last year robin i have to tell you (laughs) 
if I know there's construction going on, I will find another way to go. I will avoid the construction. And I absolutely love how you saw construction not as an inconvenience, but an opportunity to share love in a tangible way and for others actually to see Christ in you. Thank you for modeling that for us this morning.